Welcome to Lorica, the podcast of Father Patrick Cardine, pastor of St. Patrick's Orthodox Church in Bealton, Virginia. St. Patrick's is a parish in the Antiochian Orthodox Christian Archdiocese of North America, serving the Western Rite. Father Patrick is also the administrator of the Orthodox West. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Those who fear the Lord have not, so to speak, stuck their head in the sand or swept the truth under the rug or, you know, stuck their fingers in their ears. To fear the Lord is to face the truth, to uncover what is hidden behind our own fears, our own excuses. It is to shine a light into our own hearts. It's to expose, to face the truth. That's what the fear of the Lord is all about. And it's also to be very rational about it, sensible, to be in a state of mind where we are free from the controls, the debilitating controls of desire and even irrational emotion, to be in our right mind, our right senses. Someone who fears the Lord is someone who is not playing games with reality. They're facing reality, the truth of things, of all things, with humility and respect. And that is the beginning of wisdom. We cannot rightly see the truth if we are entrapped by desire and if we are tangled up in irrational emotion. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom because it is only after or when we face the bald truth of things that we can see things as they are. It is only then that we can begin to align ourselves with that truth, to live accordingly. That wisdom, the wisdom of right living according to the truth, comes with the fear of the Lord. I suppose there's no greater fool than the one who knows the truth and yet does not love the truth by living according to the truth. We have two parables of repentance in our gospel lesson today. These parables are both at the same time very profound and very simple and straightforward. There are always layers of meaning to be contemplated in the parables and yet they are also at the same time very often direct and uncomplicated in the truth that they present to us. It's enjoyable to me, and maybe to you, to discover sort of the deep layers of meaning in a parable or a teaching or a theological doctrine in the scriptures. You know, finding, peeling back and finding these treasures buried deep within and all of the connections that are maybe take some work to unpack. It's very rewarding and Uh, It's a very excellent thing. It sort of entices us to keep going. But on the other hand, there is also this experience that we have when we are struck by a very bold and uncompromising truth and that it is just presented to us in all its baldness. It's presented to us in a way that we are confronted by it. And we're faced with a choice. 
It's presented to us in a ruthless simplicity. What will you do with this? No games, no hiding, no avoidance or tricks. Will you believe? Will you hear? Will you obey and love? Or will you reject and ignore, you know, and hide? That also is a profound experience that we can learn to enjoy, especially the people who want the truth. That's what they're looking for, right? Maybe if we don't want to know the truth, that's not what we're looking for. But if we're truly hungering to grow closer to Christ, that is precisely what we want that kind of refreshing simplicity. In our parable today, it begins by telling us that something very interesting, and Luke intends to really, I think, communicate something profound to us in saying it in the way that he does. He said, it was the sinners who drew close to Jesus. The sinners drew close to him. They were drawn to Christ. While the Pharisees, the ones who were quote-unquote whole and clean, not in need of a physician. It was the Pharisees who recoiled, remained aloof in their murmuring. Now when Luke says the sinners drew close to Jesus, he was referring to, he didn't actually, as I like to point out, he didn't mean exactly what he said. <laughs> he was referring to those who were engaged in obvious outward immorality. There were sinners in this story who drew near to Christ, and there were sinners who remained aloof. The whole point of the parable is that the Pharisees are also sinners, even though they appear as righteous. They were, in fact, the worst sinners of the two groups of sinners. One group drawing close and one group remaining aloof. They weren't a little worse, they were much worse, because they lacked the one thing necessary to cleanse them from their sin. And that is the humble acknowledgement of their sin, without which repentance is impossible. So it's very interesting in the way that Luke presents this. It's a beautiful sort of twist and of irony in how he presents this, that the sinners felt so compelled, felt safe, were drawn, were drawn to Christ, the Holy One. The sinners were drawn to the pure and holy one, the unclean to the clean. Despite their sin, while the Pharisees, the clean ones, the righteous ones, recoiled despite their so-called righteousness. The impure ones should have been reticent to come close to the pure one. And the law-abiding Pharisees should have naturally, quickly, easily drawn near in confidence to the lawgiver. But it was the other way around, as Luke very deftly lays it out in our story. The truth of the matter is, there are no 99 righteous, other than the angels, if that's who Christ means by the 99. What we have here are two groups, both of sinners. One group fears the Lord and sees their sin and has decided to stop playing games. And because of this, they become wise. And in their wisdom, they know something that the other group has remained in the darkness, refused to come into the light, and failed to realize. And this revelation that they've had, that these wise sinners, there are wise sinners and unwise sinners, 
of a group of each in this story. The revelation of the wise sinners that they've discovered through repentance is simply that God is good and God loves the sinner. As I've said many times, faith is knowing you are loved. To know this, to have this realization, this awareness, is to run to Christ in repentance, to seek, to cease to hide from Him. You know, like Adam in the bushes, hiding, cowering, in unbelieving fear. A holy fear of the Lord, which we began with. The true fear of the Lord brings us to faith in the love of God. An unholy fear of evil traps us in darkness. There are two other very obvious truths emphasized in these parables of forgiveness. The first that is so obvious as to be missed, you know how that works, (laughs) things are so obvious, sometimes we miss them. The first is the reality that we do not exist in isolation. We exist, we exist, the very most basic ontological metaphysical level, we exist in community, as a communion of persons sharing a common nature. We exist, our very existence is in relation to other people. And what that means is is that our sin is not private. Our sin is not between just us and God. It affects everyone. Also, our repentance and our restoration and our healing is also not private and not just between us and God. It involves the whole community. This is so clear in the parable. The very sin of the one is just rudimentary to the whole story. The sin of the one is because he is one. That's the whole point. The very essence of his naughtiness is manifest manifest in the fact that he has become one out of the hundred. The fact that he left the 99, went off on his own. That becomes the essence of his sin. That is the picture, the metaphor of his sin. He violated the community. He broke the fold separated himself. It's in his oneness that he is identified as a sinner. That's one point that comes across very clearly in the parable that we can take. The second truth that is very clearly represented and shouts so loudly and which is so delightful and so beautiful in these parables. And there's a third parable in this triad actually that's not in our reading. The third one is the prodigal son, the most perhaps beloved parable of all of Jesus' parables. And it accentuates the same points, by the way. The son left the family. And then this last point, when the son comes home. And that is, the beautiful and delightful part of all of this, is the connection of repentance to joy. It just shouts. If you read these parables just at face value and just let them speak to you in all their simplicity, these things come across crystal clear. And one of the things that really comes across crystal clear is the joy that follows repentance. Repentance is not ugly, it's not oppressive, it's not dour, it's none of those things. Yes, it involves tears. And yes, it involves a kind of sorrow. And yes, it involves even a kind of pain, because pain and sorrow go together. But it is the kind of sorrow that gives way to joy.
It is a bright sadness, as we say. It may begin in deconstruction, but it ends in a new beginning. And the net result of all true, sincere repentance is simple joy. Because we have been restored to the one who loves us, we have been called back to his bosom where there are delights and joy forevermore. This is what is discovered by those who fear the Lord. That fear of God which brings us to faith in God's love for us. Not because we in our sin are lovable. We are not. But because the love originates in God. What makes us lovable is God. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The love, it originates in God. And that love cannot be overcome or conquered or canceled by anything or by anyone. We can do nothing to make God love us more and we can do nothing to make Him love us less because the love for us is His. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You have been listening to Father Patrick Cardine, pastor of St. Patrick's Orthodox Church in Bealton, Virginia. This has been a production of the Orthodox West.